Chapter 2 Barry Heller was on the phone to Frankfurt. They were furious about a stray email that had turned up at a rival bank in New York. The email contained sensitive information on the restructuring of a big client's telecom operation. As information, it was worth a fortune in the right hands, and more in the wrong hands. And what are we going to do about it, Barry? Because the Americans shouldn't have had access to that information, and they've got us over a barrel on this one. Who sent the email? Barry wondered out loud. His calm came naturally. It was in all his genes. Whatever he said was measured, always with a pleasant lilt. He sounded as if he was serving drinks at a party. We've got no idea who, Hans Goodman in Frankfurt groaned, but the client is up in his arms. Barry did what he was known best for. He remained unperturbed. No sudden shouts from Frankfurt were going to unnerve the man. He continued to scan the pages of a three-inch thick document, familiarizing himself with another client's investment plans for a small African dictatorship his employers were negotiating loans for. He read certain passages carefully, turning the pages as he murmured into the phone. Never agitated, never rushed. That was Barry Heller to a T. On behalf of the chief executive of the bank, Hans Gutmann was tearing his hair out. When Barry thought Hans might be flagging, he told Hans what the poor underling wanted to hear. I'm on good terms with New York. I'll make a call. He advised Hans, practically sobbing at the other end, to get his beauty sleep. Despite this, Hans managed to fret a few minutes more, just to make sure that Barry understood that he was carrying the can now. Don't worry, Barry said. I'll cover it. His speech patterns were warm and friendly, like the voice of an insomniac radio host. Lowering his tone even further, Barry drew Hans in with a few more words of solace. Despite the seeming gravity, I'd like you to pass it up the chain that there's nothing to worry about. Barry's rock-in-a-storm act may have been infuriating to an excitable kind of German on the other end of the line, but there was an essential condition that went hand-in-hand hand with his poise. Whatever anyone said about him, Barry Heller was the solutions man. He would stake his job against any kind of problem they threw at him. He was one of the few willing to absorb blame. The people who called him knew that. The way he behaved, that ever-composed pipe-smoking thing he got up to. The fact was, if the solutions man didn't solve it, he sure made it easy for them to get rid of him afterwards. It had been that way all his life, people expecting Barry to come up with an answer, no matter how stuffy and obnoxious he might otherwise seem. He'd conditioned himself to it, privately drawing on his Prussian ancestry for inspiration. The reputation he'd achieved for reliability and keeping a level head in a crisis had an old-fashioned ring to it in Barry's mind. He considered it essential not to raise his voice. His grandfather always used to say, never shout and never run. In German, nie schreien, nie laufen. Injunctions against young free minds, perhaps. 
But Barry's own father had lived by the same creed, and Barry was damned if he was going to let down two generations of hellers. He'd graduated from Yale with a major in economics, with law and languages built in. His fluency in German had him up for all kinds of jobs. But it was his ability to face problems head-on, what was perceived by most as Barry's madcap daring, that really boosted his career. People talked about rare birds like that. After he'd married his English rose, the Germans had bought him a fine home in London, where he and Teresa had been living for many years. It was the foundation for their happy family. As part of his contract, the Germans had provided him with deals on investment portfolios designed to pay out for his children's education. The children were wonderful. Their first was a daughter, Anya. Then came their son, Jamie. Of course, Teresa, being Mary Poppins, had wanted her children to have the perfect English education. Right up to Oxford or Cambridge, she was open-minded. The plan was to remain in the UK no matter what happened politically. So far, the plan had worked. It had been a succession of untroubled years. Thinking about it gave Barry the sense of a pageant. It was a complex dance of family images and close friendships and work experiences that seemed ordered and right. Even the political cock-up that was Brexit could be handled or softly negotiated and eased back into shape as far as Barry was concerned. When anyone brought up the subject of his pipe smoking, Barry would claim he'd been smoking ever since he got married. Most thought it was nerves that induced Barry to take his pipe wherever he went, but that wasn't it. He didn't get nervous. It was more to do with his forebears. Photographs of his father and paternal grandfather in family albums always featured their pipes more than them. Having a pipe for a constant companion was Barry's way of rounding things off. He would have been the first to acknowledge that life has a funny way of taking over from photographs. The most prominent thing on his desk was the photograph of Teresa and the kids, taken during a skiing vacation two years before. Jamie had been eight, Anya twelve. It was the year they'd had the house painted yellow and new carpets put in. A high point in my life, Barry thought. A wry smile skimmed his lips as he put the phone down on Frankfurt and looked at the photograph. It had been a high point in more ways than one. The mountain we climbed, he thought. The summit we reached. This mental nagging was only just beginning to be compulsive. Barry felt it whenever he looked at the photograph. Seeing his wife with her arms around their adorable children and the chalet they'd rented in the background, high on life, broad, toothy grins on all of them, it suddenly felt like having weights dropped onto his neck. It made him slump, if not in his posture, in his mind. It was as if the family had reached its peak and things could only get worse from then on. It wasn't long after that picture was taken that Anya became sullen, and Jamie stopped showing the complete faith he used to have in his father. These weren't coherent thoughts yet. To Barry, it could sometimes feel like he'd lost something, but he didn't know what. Whatever he'd lost hadn't become apparent. 
He knew his relations with Teresa were still good, but the nagging feeling about the high point having come and gone happened frequently enough that he couldn't ignore it. It was evolving subtly into a more general appraisal of the past. It was making Barry nostalgic. The skiing vacation itself had become a myth he and Teresa would reminisce about. The Swiss Alps, the pure air, thinking of those bygone days as a time when the outer world reflected so accurately what Barry had struggled hard to achieve inside. He lifted the telephone receiver and replaced it carefully because he didn't like the coils and the wire to remain crossed. The trading floor below his office was empty. A gang of cleaners happened to be dragging bin bags between banks of consoles, around swivel chairs, dusting and calling out to each other. The only other person working in the office was a fellow American of Irish descent called Angie McHugh. She was an associate who had been in London for three months. The gossip was that Angie had someone serious back home. Otherwise, why would she turn down so many dinner dates? Freckle-faced with pale blue eyes and shoulder-length sandy ginger hair, she looked more like an Olympic swimmer than a futures trader. She had a strong jaw and a healthy flush in her cheeks. Barry was aware a few of the itchier males in the building were being more than obvious about their designs and liked the fact that Angie had kept her distance. That Sunday, she had taken a room along the gangway from Barry's office to revise for an institute exam. She walked out to get herself a mid-morning snack and hesitated at the glass partition, trying to catch Barry's eye, but he'd been on the phone. She wondered if he might want some coffee or if he preferred tea. Ten minutes later, on her way back, she slowed down again. Barry was still at his desk, about to light a pipe, packing tobacco into the bowl with his thumb. He put the pipe between his teeth, holding his lighter close, then glanced up as it took. When their eyes met through the glass, Angie felt she had to say something. She popped her head in. I'm sorry, Mr. Heller. I've just made myself some coffee. Barry nodded, belching the first clouds of smoke. An instant warm, salty smell strayed her way. Don't worry about it, he said out of the corner of his mouth, snapping the lighter shut. I'm almost through. He closed the document he'd been reading and sucked a few more times on his pipe to get it hot and glowing. It took him a moment to remember her last name and what little he knew about her. Honestly, Angie said, it's no bother. In order to smile at her properly, Barry had to take the pipe out of his mouth. No, really, Angie, I'm fine. Thanks all the same. He showed her his rows of teeth, but his smile was terse and formal. Angie had jeans on and a man's shirt. It was a pink one, a few sizes too big. She seemed embarrassed, but prepared to linger. I didn't think anyone else would be here, she said. Barry moved his pipe from one corner of his mouth to the other and said, It's the only time you can get anything done in this place. Angie smiled, trying to think of something else to say. I'm booked to meet a delegation of Venezuelans at the airport tomorrow, she offered. They say they're coffee growers. She made a face. They want to invest their money. I only hope they don't bring it with them in a suitcase. Barry nodded. 
It's so quiet here Sundays. I just love it. I know. It's the only time I can really concentrate. You can say that again. It's about the only time I can get away with this, too. He took his pipe out of his mouth, waving it at her. Angie's smile hovered. Suddenly, Barry was conscious that he may have overstepped himself. I hope you don't mind, do you? he asked. Angie shook her head easily. She'd never intended to make an issue of his major infraction of house rules. She liked the smell his tobacco made. I won't tell anyone if you don't, she said. He relaxed and put the pipe back where it belonged. That's kind, he mumbled between puffs. His eyes drifted to the photograph on his desk, then quickly back to Angie, realizing what a flowering face she had as she moved towards him, both hands around her steaming coffee. He stood to meet her, holding his pipe to his teeth, enjoying the warmth of the bowl in his hands. He hadn't intended to stand. Whatever he'd intended, the tweed jacket, the tan slacks and white cotton shirt, and one of a number of sober ties inherited from his grandfather, all emerged from behind his desk to greet her. He couldn't help glancing at the photograph, though. Is that your family? Angie asked. Barry nodded and puffed. He puffed busily. I'd love to stay and talk, but I'm afraid that won't be possible. He stepped around Angie. I've got a half marathon to run, he said. There was too much smoke in the air. He almost spluttered as he walked out. Right now? Angie was still by his desk, trying not to appear perplexed. The man was marching out of his office, leaving her there with a tingle in her throat. Barry turned at the door and said, I believe after oil, coffee is the most traded commodity in the world. Angie nodded. She wasn't too sure. He paused on the way out. He spoke more expansively now, like a grandfather. I'd have killed for a decent cup of coffee when I first came to London, he said. In those days, no one drank the stuff here. He was looking at her so keenly, Angie wondered if he was trying to hint at something. Now it's tremendous, he went on, waving his pipe in the air. It's on every street corner, which can only mean one thing. She continued to smile, but her confusion did a lot to temper it. Barry winked at her. Good luck with the Venezuelans. Like a strange version of himself, completely overdoing it with the pipe and the deep, fruity voice, Barry went striding along the gangway to the elevator. He waved at the cleaners below, buoyed by what he thought of as Angie McHugh's obvious admiration. The thought of Angie's bloom had made him feel younger. By the time he'd slowed into traffic near Hyde Park, he was thinking, why shouldn't I be whimsical from time to time? My dignity is intact, and it was just a mild flirtation. Having decided to change in the back seat of the car, Barry drove into an underground car park behind Harrods. He squirmed out of his jacket and shirt into some specially bought running things he thought he'd never wear in a million years. As he changed, he recalled the way Teresa sometimes behaved around his neighbor, David Binden. If anyone wanted to see flirtation at its ugliest, they only had to observe Teresa making a fuss over David or making excuses to go across the road to talk to Camilla. 
Anyone would have to wonder at how often Teresa made her way over to the Bindens. Privately, Barry considered David Binden rakish and untrustworthy. All stockbrokers, in his opinion, were caught up in their emotions. Precisely the way they got caught up in rising and dipping share values, Binden was nothing if not an expert at this. Kicking off his brogues, struggling out of his slacks, Barry realized he would be devastated if his wife ever chose David as a lover. It was an unwanted thought, but Barry understood that it wasn't just the deception, it was the choice of lover that would get his goat. Please, God, he thought, don't ever let it be David. Out of the car, in fetid underground air, feeling awkward, engulfed by the tang of new synthetics and never-worn running shoes that made his feet appear lumbering, Barry mumbled to nobody, this would never have happened in the past. What he meant was that, in his heyday, up in the Swiss Alps, Barry would never have been so preoccupied with such ridiculous froth. He was late, but still had to jog across the park to fetch his yellow bib. The jog to the bib booth alone was enough exercise for one day. Barry wanted to leave and go back to work. There were only a few other entrants waiting to get bibs. Most of the runners were gathered along the perimeter track for the start. Barry jogged in that direction, looking for Teresa. It was having to rush that got to him. Now, he realized, in his hurry to get away from the office, he'd neglected to call New York. He shut his eyes and squeezed out the shame as he jogged on the spot near his starting position. The morning was beginning to feel like something slipping out of control. The race official had already fired his pistol. To catch up, Barry was forced to run faster than he would have liked. Still a few hundred yards away, the last pack of runners looked like a swarm of bees pouring out of a hive, and he was heading straight for it. He joined the stragglers, a few weirdly dressed ones at that, falling in behind a large male dressed like a caveman, equipped with a club. This caveman was rotund and heavy. Barry wanted to overtake him, but couldn't bring himself to be so rude. The feeling of being buffeted by forces beyond his control rose steadily. He tried dropping back, aware out of the corner of his eye that there was someone behind him, dressed in a bear suit, holding a spoon. To keep out the sweat that was beginning to sting his lids, he ran, squeezing his eyes shut and opening them wide. As he went between tall, leafy oaks, sunlit swirls of damp air from the serpentine cooled his skin. Pouring with moisture now, but getting used to the pace, he continued to struggle against the antagonism of having to rush and the early complaints his body was already making. Too hot and too fast, each long stride felt worse than the last. It was hard for Barry to believe he was doing this at all. As he stabilized and advanced down the pack, he saw how wrong it would have been to call New York on a Sunday. He latched on to that thought for dear life. The situation didn't require pushy tactics. Rather, it could be handled correctly, more in the German way. First thing in the morning, Barry told himself. He would talk to his counterpart, Dwight Havel, and explain candidly what was going on. 
he would ask for assistance and see what Dwight wanted in return. In addition to this, he would continue to flirt with Angie McHugh, he decided. He began to think of Angie on purpose. Every five paces, he had a new, exciting thought about Angie. It brought out the runner in him. There was a squirrel in the trees. The twitch of its long gray tail caught his eye. It leapt across the branches, keeping pace with the rumble of runners he was in. The faces around him were becoming more familiar. Before long, he would be able to single out each personality, as if he'd known them a long time. He could have been living among these people. In a burst of power, coinciding with so many private thoughts, Barry finally managed to overtake the caveman. It could have been Angie McHugh, bringing out a strength he'd presumed was lost. It certainly is gratifying, he thought, that such a young flame should be attracted to an old prune like me. He never knew he had so much stamina. Now it was as if he was running for the first time ever. His grandfather's half-forgotten words, never shout, never run, intruded on these running thoughts. It happened just as he turned into a long bend, coming out of the trees. It was as if his grandfather had been waiting there, in ambush. During a prolonged spell of intermittent coughing, Barry began to recall how his grandfather had punished him many times over. The beatings the old man had given him flashed up between coughs. It was how it had been drilled into Barry that no kid should ever shout, and no kid should ever run. He hadn't been conscious of the assaults in years. This period of brutality had been all but lost among his jumbled and loving impressions. After running for about an hour, doing the best he could, Barry began to slow down and dedicate the pains in his chest to those closest to him. His grandfather could have some of this, he thought. His sad, weak father could have some too. Not only that, he was going through it for Teresa's sake. She could have some. He was going through it for Anya's sake. Doing it for Jamie, he thought. It really was for all of them that he was killing himself. Strangely, for no reason he could fathom, his thoughts took him to Camilla Binden. This was a different version of Camilla. Suddenly, Camilla was attracted to him. She laughed at his humorous asides. It was as if the ultimate prize in all of this could actually be Bindon's wife of all people. Barry tried to shake that notion as fast as it came to him, but it was part of his stride now. The idea that way ahead, in front of them all, he could catch up with Camilla and they could come to the end of this costume farce together, triumphant, hand in hand. It was irresistible. It was how the story ought to end, because the Barry Hellers of this world deserved only the best and the David Bindens could go screw themselves. Eventually, these reflections went too far even for Barry. He tried to push them out of his mind and replace them with less defined but equally uncomfortable urges bubbling under the surface. He ran forever until he realized he would have to fall eventually. He urged himself to finish even though there was nothing left of him. All this time, his grandfather had been right behind him. 
Even with those ghastly words in his mind again, over the last mile to go, grunting every few paces, in so much pain, even with that phrase that had been burned into Barry at some deep level, nie steien, nie laufen, he shouted now with his precious strength, just leave me alone. Although it seemed an awkward expression to use, a few others laughed out loud. Barry could have shouted what he liked. The runners suffering near him would have laughed at anything. In his mind he fell, but his body made it. He glanced up to the top of the trees, looking for some composite of his leering granddad. The trees themselves were that kind of man. Distinguished, cruel, and more perfectly reliable than anyone else on the planet. Barry looked up and really thought he saw the old Prussian there. That day his chest was a drum for his heart to beat on. He ran like hell, chased by an older man, running after everything he thought he was losing. As he came to the finish, where so many others had collapsed, he shouted again, Leave me alone! He had phlegm and blood in his mouth. There were others splayed on the grass, or crouching and panting. Barry's limbs turned to lard as he staggered towards a tree. It had to be a tree. He put his hands against the rough bark, arms stretched out so he could hang his head between them and watch his sweat drip to the earth. He heard Teresa call his name, then looked up, mouth hanging. What? What is it? He stammered between breaths. Teresa was sitting at the base of another tree with Camilla. They were staring at him, as if they were scared. <laughs>